Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Oh, I put the emphasis on I'm. No one else is claiming to be Justin McElroy. Yeah, I don't. Nobody's fighting you for except, that position. Except for CBC Canadian Justin McElroy. But he's not claiming. He is. Well, is he? Yes. I mean, he's Justin McElroy, but is he Justin McElroy, you mm, know? with that, I don't know if he would say it like that. Probably not. That's, you know, that that might just be you. Justin, I uh, I like on this show sometimes when I have the opportunity to um, dispel misinformation. I don't know if you've noticed that. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you tend to take what some would describe as a delight in it. Uh, recently in the news, I have been very dismayed to see uh, the way that some of my colleagues in the medical profession, specifically DOs, doctors of osteopathic medicine are being treated um i forgot for the intro for uh-huh. this episode uh-huh. i wanted to be uh, uh i wanted to say sydney are you ready to do this episode oh and like you'd Dio be like and, mm-hmm. is that really the that was or did you just come up with that and then you wanted to try to i thought of it two days ago and i decided not to do it and i don't yeah. know why that I think I have an extra organ in my body that makes me say the jokes I shouldn't. I think that <laughs> that you is. should have listened to Justin from two days ago. Yeah. Can we call him in here and do the show? I don't know why I'm having a flare up of my <laughs> my bad my bad <laughs> joke, my third kidney that makes me do bad jokes. Uh, so anyway, a lot of people have written in to ask about osteopathic medicine and osteopathic physicians. What is the difference? Is there a difference? What does it mean? Uh, you may have seen recent reports beca- about this because uh, the president's doctor, uh, while he was admitted to the hospital, Dr. Conley, I believe, is an osteopathic physician. And there has been a lot of question as to um, not being able to fully decipher what the doctor was communicating, I think, to reporters during press conferences. Um there he has been accused of kind of being cagey with some of his answers and all that aside i have nothing to say about any of that i mean frankly i don't i don't know this fellow <laughs> I, I know nothing of his uh credentials training or communication is ability. he a fellow or is he just an attending position i was just calling him a fellow oh like you know fella feller feller <laughs> feller you gotta say feller I, <laughs> I don't know him personally and i'm not talking about him uh but Whatever all that aside, the fact that he's an osteopathic physician 
should have nothing to do with your opinion of him. That is the that is why I wanted to address this, because a lot of people, I think, kind of looked into him, Googled some stuff, got the wrong idea. Got a hot take all, <laughs> all in the chamber. Yeah. And just let it go. Yeah. I mean, there were there were journalists, there were celebrities, there were a lot of just random people on social media who were insulting this person based on the fact that they are not an MD, but a DO physician. And uh, as we go through the history of osteopathic medicine, and I, I seek to explain the difference and lack of difference in a lot of ways between the two, um, I please keep in mind that the number one thing I want you to understand is there is nothing, there is no, there is really no fundamental difference in the care you're going to receive from an MD or a DO. And there is no reason that you should be dissuaded from seeing a physician because they are a DO. They are wonderful. Uh, I have reached out to some of my DO colleagues and some of uh, our listeners uh, that I want to thank Caitlin and Matthew and Jennifer and Audrey and Anita for giving me some more information. Since I, while I understand osteopathic medicine, I did not attend osteopathic school and so um they helped me get a little more insight into what the current thought is uh so these will you talk to her attendings no what are you (laughs) that was another uh that was another all over the place here yeah i've actually spoken now with students residents fellows and attendings how you like that wow that is great sydney all levels of training as osteopathic what about enthusiasts (laughs) amateur DOs no I would not recommend an amateur doctor whatever initials follow their name Mm -hmm. Um, that's you included I agree to disagree (laughs) I'm still looking for college give me that honorary doctorate by the way Uh, if anybody can do that for me let me know I'll do anything at this point not anything anything so whatever whatever (laughs) nasty thesis you need from me if if you listen to this show regularly, you know that medicine wasn't always <laughs> good, <laughs> competent. There we go. Um, we went through a lot of phases in medical history where we would just try things. Uh, and if it worked, we would keep doing it. And if it didn't work, we might keep doing it anyway. But um, the idea that that we've always had it figured out. I think you know is flawed it's mm-hmm. taken us a long time and there's still things we're figuring out sure um, that's just the nature of knowledge human knowledge and scientific inquiry uh back when dr andrew still who we're going to talk a lot about the founder of osteopathic medicine back when he became a physician he was originally a an md uh during the american civil war there was a lot to be desired and that was dr still's main problem with medicine at the time is uh, there were a lot of things that he was learning. His father was actually a physician. He studied and apprenticed under him. Um, he worked uh, as a hospital steward and then would, the way that that would go is you would like start out like giving out medications and things. And then eventually you would be caring for the sick and then eventually you'd be doing surgery. <laughs> so just, yeah, just yeah. it's an accelerated track we have here. Exactly. Uh, and so as he as he went through these different levels of responsibility in areas of medicine, he slowly was becoming more and more kind of disenchanted with the 
state of medical knowledge at the time. Okay. There were a lot of treatments uh, that were just as likely to harm people as they were to help people. And he kind of, he felt like, he started to get the inkling that there has to be a better way. There has to be there a better way. There has to be a better way. way. Uh, and uh, and what, really, what really motivated him to start finding that, in his mind, better way was after the war, he, he very tragically lost his wife and children to meningitis. Ugh. It was terrible. And a- after that, he really decided, you know what, there's a lot we haven't figured out, which is true. And a lot of the treatments that we're using are really dangerous. And we need to kind of go back to basics and see, are we going at this the wrong way? When we start bleeding people or giving them mercury or arsenic or whatever was fashionable at the moment, what are we doing? You know, what, what, what are, is, have we really gone down the wrong road? Okay. And so Dr. Still went back and after a lot of thought and and kind of contemplation based on his own knowledge as a physician he came up with this concept that most disease gets back to sort of like mechanics okay it's a problem of bones and muscles okay uh, at the end of the day and i think the fact that he also understood a lot about like machines kind of makes all this as I'm trying to envision him as a, as a person and how his mind worked, mm-hmm. um, he once patented a butter churn. So nice. <laughs> the, nice. That his that's the way his brain worked, and and so mechanics as a way of understanding the human body kind of made sense to him. Which is accurate. It's just what scale, right? Right. Well, I mean, I think there there is a there are certain things you can apply this to for sure, and you'll see that this persists in osteopathic medicine. But when it comes to other physiological processes, this probably doesn't pan yeah, out. Not the most helpful metaphor. But uh, he he decided that he was going to kind of restructure medicine with this new theory that he called osteopathy. Um, osteo is a reference to bones. bones. Yeah, hey, you got that. Path is like roads or different ways you can go. So these are different ways your bones can go. N- n- no, it's a reference to suffering, mm. like pathology. Bone suffering. Pat, pat. Bone suffering. Suffering suffering. of the bones. (laughs) Got it. Um, But it wasn't just about like the bones are the problem. It was more about the idea that the way that we could fix things, the way that we could treat disease is really through hands-on manipulation of the bones, the muscles, the tissues to treat underlying disease processes. Okay. And... Uh, he founded the first school of osteopathy based on this idea that was, and it was uh, called the American School of Osteopathy. It is now um, A.T. Still University in Missouri, and this was back in 1892 when this wow. all started. Um, and you know, if you look into like this period in history, and we've talked about this a lot on the program, there were a lot of other medical schools of thought popping up here and there. So this idea was not. The the, the thought that you'd come up with a new kind of medicine to do was not that wild back then. Right. In this period, we see a lot of people. I think we have a we start to have like a groundwork without necessarily the best applications for all of it. And Mm -hmm. you start to see people like, well, we can all agree. Basically, this is the way things are going in there. So maybe this is the way that we address it. Yeah. And and I think um, that's some of this, obviously, uh, distrust in the medical system that existed like. 
I, I feel like I went to the doctor and I ended up worse than before, which sometimes was unfortunately Fair. true. Yeah. We, we didn't know everything. Well, we don't know everything now, but we didn't know as much yet. But uh, some of it gave rise to things that we know d- didn't work, like homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then out, but go on. <laughs> you get like groups like we've talked about, like the Eclectics and the Thompsonians who bordered on some things and then there were a lot of other things that didn't work so you get this kind of time period where a lot of different medicines going a lot of different directions as a reaction to uh i don't and probably like based on the previous heroic era of medicine when if it you know if you're going to die anyway we may as well do whatever a bunch of weird stuff yeah so anyway his initial plan was to teach people everything he knew in three months that was the that was the medical school Nice. You can learn this in three months. Anybody can learn it, and it takes three months. Um, he eventually realized that you probably need a little more time. Four months. Final <laughs> offer. Uh, he also, I think it is worth noting, he taught both men and women, which is pretty revolutionary at the time. Yeah. Like, from from the beginning, that was, that was fine. Um, and this main difference, I think, when we talk about like on in a current climate, what is the difference between a DO and an MD in terms of their training? This was sort of codified in this beginning. Um, still taught, doctor still taught something called osteopathic manipulative medicine, OMM, or osteopathic manipulative treatment, some people, any OMT. But the idea is that this is a way of treating disease by manipulating and moving the body around. It is a hands-on um lay down on this table i'm gonna i'm gonna touch you and move you and make things better right right and it's based on an understanding of anatomy uh it includes movement of the bones the muscles the tendons the fascia which is a layer of tissue a thin strong layer of tissue that overlies the muscles you have to work with um, tension in all those areas and dysfunction in those areas to manipulate them to take you back to health wellness now that sounds if you're listening to this as a sort of a layman that might start to sound kind of like massage therapy there's when you if you've ever well i have had omt performed um if you haven't i will tell you that it it for someone who has not been trained in it it would remind you of somewhere between like massage therapy and um i have never been to a chiropractor but i know there are some similarities between just some pieces not they are not the same thing by any stretch but some pieces and even a little bit of physical therapy like Mm -hmm. it's it's somewhere in the middle there um i found an example of like one manipulation just so people will have an idea of like what we're talking about Oh, well, honey, I wasn't trained in it. I, I know, but I, like, but if, neither were the layman, but you had it done to you, right? Like, yes. When I when I had it done, a lot of what I, wh- I was pregnant with our first child, and I was having a great deal of pelvic pain, especially in, like, the front part of my pelvis, the pubic symphysis. Um, and I was, it was very tender and sore. And so one of my colleagues who is trained in osteopathic medicine would, um, a lot of it had to do with just, like, I was laying down and she would, I don't even, I don't know what these, I, I know there are probably Dio's listening going, I know what maneuver that is. Um, and she would like flex my leg up and over to the side and provide like tension against the way that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like it was a lot of just like. So stuff like maybe if you need a reference point, something like you'd see in like physical therapy also sort yes. of like that sort of like 
that idea. It it That's doesn't. We're talking about when you're seeing it. A lot of the time, it looks a lot like just stretching or you massage. Know, it, know, it looks like that from the um, layperson's view on the outside. The reason I'm drilling down on it is it's if you don't know what we're sounding, uh, talking about, it can sound it sounds made up. If you don't know that, like no. what we're sort of like, well, how would that have <laughs> anything to do? I mean, these are legit serious. Like you're doing something, right? Well, like, and I, when I talk about energy and tension, I am not talking about um, a philosophical concept. Right. I am talking about like physics. Like you're you're you, you are finding points where there are contracted muscles and there there are actually inflamed tense parts of tissue and working against the like counter energy of that. Like that, I'm I'm talking physics here. Okay. Not. Uh, it, this is not conceptual. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and like I said, the initial idea was that anything could be treated this way. Like anything. So that's kind of where maybe the problem. Right, right. And I, and again, I want to get into like um, how this has evolved. And But before we, you, kind of as you have already alluded to, before you start thinking like, well, this doesn't sound real. Um, it's important to remember a few things. Doctor Still was against a lot of pharmaceuticals for the most part. He thought that he thought that we were probably evolving in a direction with medicine where the vast majority of illness disease could be treated by OMM. Some people will need surgery and there will be maybe a handful of like pharmaceutical like therapeutics that could be helpful in the future. He did not feel like those necessarily existed in his time. Mm. And when people were being given like opium and arsenic, that's not, I mean, that's not a wild thought to say like, I don't think these things are really helpful. Um, I think that, that there were probably some who would argue, well, yeah, but like we're moving in the direction and, and medicine will play a big part. And he thought that, actual like drugs would play a much smaller role mm. in the future of of medicine thought they would or thought they should should if things evolve the way he felt they should okay. <laughs> would if things evolve the way he felt they should um and uh and in addition to this he was the first physician who pushed really strongly on the idea of preventative medicine that really comes that doctor still really focused on the idea that like we're so we're so interested in treating pathology, but why aren't we putting as much energy into keeping people well mm-hmm. so that we don't have to treat the, since we're really bad at treating pathology, why don't we try to prevent that from getting there? Um, which was, you know, uh, is an incredibly important idea in medicine. And Dr. Still was one of the, you know, forerunners of this idea. Um, I want to talk about how, if that is the origin of osteopathic medicine, which I would say at the time was alternative medicine, certainly mm-hmm. back then, um, to what was considered the mainstream allopathic mm-hmm. medicine. Um, how did that evolve into what I am arguing now is indistinguishable? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to tell you. Oh, but, good. But first, I want to take you to the billing department. Ah, oh, that one actually, you got me on that one. That one, you got me. Let's go. Good. The medicines, the medicines that We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although 
there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. All right, Sid, or should I say Tricky Sid, because you tricked me, <laughs> oh, tricked mm, me into like commercialism. That. Okay. Not me. I'm not. I, I, I would, if it were up to me, folks, no room for capitalism on this show. It's all hey, about Hey, oh, don't people. even. Hey, I long for a day where uh, we have to rename the billing department because it no longer makes sense. Oh, yeah. We have to name it like waiting six hours for a death panel, right? Oh, my High gosh, five. No. High five. How about- know, how Whoa, about you're high fiving me so hard? How City. about no? How about time time to pay your taxes, which are totally reasonable because you don't have to pay healthcare premiums or deductibles anymore. I liked mine. I think mine's a little cashier. <laughs> Neither of them are the great. Anyway, no, no, we'll we'll workshop We're that. But work. <laughs> we we pro- thank you, Siri. We probably have plenty of time to figure something out. Unfortunately, so as I was saying, things definitely were going to evolve because. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry, the way that we make drugs, study drugs, 
prove if drugs work or not. You know, because for in the beginning, like that wasn't really necessary, right? Yeah. Eventually, we said, you know what, we should we should regulate this stuff so that you're not so that snake oil is not the default. Yeah. Um, and so the pharmaceutical industry started to grow. The FDA was created. Um, we started to come up with our idea of standard ways of proving if a medicine works right right you know placebo controlled randomized controlled trials double blind study all that stuff became sort of the way that you know if something works well what got harder to to study in that model are things like osteopathic manipulative medicine it doesn't fit as well into this method of studying as a drug does Mm -hmm. right it's a lot easier to control like, well, you give them a sugar pill and you give them the medicine and then that's it, right? right? That's a lot harder when you're talking about this type of treatment to come up with what we call a sham treatment, meaning it looks and feels like I might be doing OMT on you, but I'm not really to right. see. That's really hard to do, right? Right. That And so it be it was hard to prove that any of these treatments worked you also have, in the same way. You also have people doing it slightly differently because you're introducing the, another human being into the, you know, it's not like you're giving yes. them 20 cc's of rubbing. It, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot harder to prove that it worked and the, it was definitely operator dependent. The more you did it, the more practiced you were in it probably the better effects you were going to have um and you know also a lot of studies were being done on students like we'll practice on the do students who might necessarily not have any problem and so how much better did it make you if you weren't having any issues to begin with so there it was it was really hard to have it like kind of codified into our treatment protocols the same way that drugs are a lot easier to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And this also, as we evolved, this also went into like how things get paid for, you know, insurance companies like to pay for things that are standard, like standards of practice. And it's harder to put these things into standards of practice when they're not being studied the same way. Anyway, all of this, um, moved like it put pressure on osteopathic schools to move closer to md schools in sort of their training Mm -hmm. and and this is what happened um the a lot of the do schools started to um, move in that direction doing things like adding pharmacology to their curriculum you know which was kind of against what dr still initially you know, thought medicine would be like and, and the schools started to evolve and say, well, but we have to change with the times and medicines work now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have good ones. And so students were trained in that. Their, their curriculum was expanded from three to four years eventually, which is the same as MD school. Um, and it you get to a point as you move through like the 1900s up to the 60s and 70s where DO school is becoming pretty much MD school mm. uh, with the addition of this osteopathic manipulative medicine that is still being taught, but all the other stuff MDs are learning, DOs are also learning. And so along with that, the DOs had to start lobbying to be recognized as physicians because initially they weren't called doctors of osteopathic medicine. What were they? Osteopaths. It was removed from the concept of doctor. That sounds like you have a psychic connection to bones, like you can talk to them. (laughs) Sounds well, like a I, Gen, a Jennifer Love Hewitt series. It, I had to learn this because it's weird. I initially 
have I have used those terms in like interchangeably. Like, well, they're an osteopath, meaning they're a DO, meaning they're a doctor of osteopathic medicine. I've used, but apparently there was a time period where that's all because it was like intentional. So you're diminishing uh, them. Well, I didn't. No, I didn't me. mean to. I didn't know that. Oh, um, just because you didn't mean to. <laughs> now I think they are all used the same way because they're doctors. We know this. Do you have anything in allopathic medicine in your allopathic training that you would equate these maneuvers to? Stuff that like people don't really do that much, but it is part of your training just for like tradition or um, some people still have faith in it. Is there anything like similar to that? I wouldn't say there there is like a body of knowledge that's similar to that, um, but there are definitely pieces of medicine scattered throughout and and I, I my do colleagues learn this stuff too so they would probably agree with all this there are things we do in various medical disciplines for treatment um that have been done be like back when we first thought that they would work and that since then uh, evidence has not really borne them out to be incredibly effective mm -hmm. but we maybe don't have anything else and maybe we th think it might work occasionally and it's not harmful. And so it continues to be done. And as you're learning these things, sometimes uh, your professor will mention that or the person, your preceptor will mention that, but then tell you to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, here's something similar. The way that we prescribe steroids for various disorders has changed dramatically since I have been in practice. And that's because a lot of what we were first trained to do when I became a resident was just like, we don't really know how long to give people steroids or how much to give them uh, for different things. So we just sort of do this. Mm. Uh, now evidence has evolved and we have better ideas now, but when I first entered training, like how long do you put somebody on steroids for a COPD exacerbation? it depended on which doctor you were working with. I mean, it really did. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody kind of knew that. So definitely. I mean, medicine's always evolving and changing. And there are things that you continue to be taught because it's the best we know right now, but we expect that we'll know better, different, more in the future. Mm. Um, that That's just the nature of science. Uh, anyway, so... As DOs started to lobby to be recognized as physicians, one area they, they wanted to be able to serve in the military as physicians, um, they, they were pushing very hard for that. A lot of what was happening against this were, were the AMA was fighting back. The American mm -hmm. Medical Association was fighting to uh, not allow DOs to kind of become doctors, join the ranks of MDs. Um, and they, there was even, uh, for a while, the AMA said that it is considered unethical for an md to associate with a do that's how strong this divide was wow. um but the do's proved through you know turning out good physicians who knew what they were doing that by the 60s that that they are doctors and they are worthy of that title um and there were even there was a series of legal battles in California throughout like the 60s and 70s that finally had to put it into it where like they were making all DOs also go get MD licenses, which basically was sort of a racket. It was just money. You had to right. go pay to get one. And anyway, after all of this legal stuff, after that time period, the two were seen as both pathways to becoming a physician equal 
but slightly different in a little bit of that one aspect of the training. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting, too, because when you talk about like the philosophical underpinnings of the two, because that's the other thing. So what what is the difference in the training? Uh, A DO will learn OMM. I will not as an MD. Um, The there is this focus on preventive medicine that came from DOs. I would say that in MD school that has become part of our training as well. And so while that was a difference, it's probably not so much a difference now. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that is often cited is this sort of holistic viewpoint that DOs were trained to look at people as like a whole human, a mind, body, spirit connection that has to be treated. You can't just, you know, do a surgery or give a pill and make a person well. You might say you treat the illness, you win, you lose. (laughs) Treat the patient. You win every time. It, it It's funny because that concept and also like the idea that you cannot extricate the human that you're treating from their sort of social situation. Like they exist within a context and you have to consider all of those things when you take care of a person. Like well, on house, like maybe they had mold <laughs> growing in their bathroom. So you had to consider that. Well, okay. Yes, that, but also things Context like, do, do they have a home? Do they have money to pay for things? What are, what kind of foods do they have access to? I, what, are, what kind of uh, social connections do they have? All these different things, which it's, it's interesting because as a family doctor, all of this stuff feels like, well, yeah, I mean, that's like, of course, that was part of my training. Um, of course, that's part of what I think about as a physician. So I really don't think all of these ideas are that different from where medicine evolved naturally for a lot of us. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I maybe maybe not everybody thinks of all these things, but uh, I don't think these differences are as stark as maybe they were in the origins of this back in the late 1800s, right? The misunderstandings, I think, come from a couple areas. Um, One, I think the initials MD have just somehow become a shorthand for like doctor. Mm. They're an MD. And so not as not everybody is as familiar with DO. Um, I just think that there's a familiarity. It's like get the name out there and people will recognize it more readily. Right. (laughs) Just recognition. Um, So I think that's just part of it is like, well, I don't know what DO means. Well, here's what it means. They're a doctor. It's fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. Um, I think the other misunderstandings come from things like uh, Dr. Still did not specifically focus on cranial osteopathy, which is like osteopathic manipulation of the of the cranium of the skull, the bones Mm -hmm. of the skull. Um, But Dr. William Sutherland, who was a physician who kind of followed in his footsteps, he did. And his theory on this is that if you look at the the places where the bones of the skull connect, the sutures we call them, mm-hmm. um, they look. I mean, they look that way. They look like sutures. They look. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thought they looked like gills, and he thought that it indicated that there might be some slight movement there. Okay, like breathing almost, respirations okay. there. All right. And so he felt like you could getting a little fix, weird, but I'm trying to hang in there. He he felt like you could fix problems through very gentle, subtle manipulations of the bones of the skull, and that you could fix like the underlying cerebrospinal fluid and the membranes underneath, and like a lot of things could be treated okay, by yeah. manipulation of the skull. Now, work? as I've alluded to, if if it's hard to come up with the same kind of like 
exact 100% proof positive evidence for OMT in general, it's even harder, I would say, to prove that this works in our in our general scientific sense. And so because uh, he would feel these like rhythmic movements, like feel the skull and you, that you could feel this rhythm. Um, and I've talked to some of the DOs that I've reached out to and, and they say it's kind of like it's one of those things where like you learn it and then it is not necessarily a large part of their training in school. Mm. Um, it was not returned to a lot. And there are certainly people who go on and do specialized extra training in this specifically. Is it real? Here is here is what I think. There are DOs who are trained in this, who have done specialized training in this, who have spent many, many hours learning these techniques, who have seen improvement in patients. Uh, one thing that some of the DOs I talked to mentioned specifically was for headaches, mm -hmm. who can do some of these manipulations and help with headaches. Um, what I what I have seen through reading about it that has arisen from this is that there are there's craniosacral therapy which is kind of building, it, it's like the extension of cranial osteopathy. Mm -hmm. And craniosacral therapy is practiced by a lot of people who are not DOs, who did not go through all of this rigorous medical training, who did not go to medical school. They're just squeezing your head. Who, Yeah. Just, um, yeah. And I would, here is what I would say. Do not go to those people. If someone is not a licensed DO, I would not let them do osteopathic manipulative, you know, treatment on me. And I wouldn't let them do any sort of cranial therapy on me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I didn't find evidence that it's dangerous per se, because it seems a lot of like very gentle manipulations that would be so subtle, you wouldn't even know necessarily what was happening if mm -hmm. you were watching. Um, and again, I have taught, I have, I have talked to DOs who say that this does work in the proper hands. This is helpful for some of those conditions. Um, but if it's just like Larry in a strip mall who does like craniosacral therapy and also has a variety of tinctures that he's made on his own that he will sell you and, um, I don't know, <laughs> has a degree in something totally other. <laughs> I would not let him touch your head. Is that fair? That's is fair. That, That's is fair. That fair I got say? it. I got it. Um, if, if, they, if, if it says D-O at the end, do go to them. Yes. Yes. Uh, and again, a lot of the, that's the other thing about OMM that's really interesting. So not all DOs practice it. Um, many don't. Many go on to practice medicine the same as an MD because they, even though they learned this stuff in medical school, it did not become part of their practice. And it also has to do with what residency you attend. If you attend a residency uh, where you're not working with other DOs, you won't continue to practice these techniques. And so they'll probably fall by the wayside and you might just not use them anymore. And that is true for many osteopathic physicians is they just don't continue to do OMM. The ones who do really seek out additional training and do the hours to make sure that, like I said, it's operator dependent, that you actually receive benefit from what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so a DO who does this on a regular basis can do this effectively. Uh, just some guy who read a book about it or girl <laughs> probably can't. Can't.
let's not put a probably there. Yeah. Can't do it. Um, the the principles, like I said, the principles today of osteopathic medicine um, are laid out. Basically, I, I would say they actually did a survey of MDs um, from medical schools and said, do you agree with these concepts? The body is a unit. The person is a unit of body, mind and spirit. Okay. Yes. The body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing and health maintenance. Fair. Uh, structure and function are reciprocally, reciprocally, <laughs> reciprocally, reciprocal. Wow. It's a hard word to say. Reciprocally. Oh my gosh. Interrelated. Interrelated. Let's skip to that. They should have put that, that a different way. Rational treatment is based upon an understanding of the basic principles of body unity, self-regulation and the interrelationship of structure and function. These are all, I mean, like that. Yes. Not, none of these things are untrue. Like an MD would agree with all these things. It is. I think it is the natural extension of practicing medicine in the real world is you would have some people, especially that's the other thing about um, osteopathic physicians. The original mission was really primary care. The, the original goal was to create a lot of primary care physicians. The mm -hmm. thought was as a primary care physician, you really need to understand your patient as a whole. You're going to spend time with them uh, their whole life maybe. And you need to know not just like what is wrong with a piece of their body, but their whole situation to help them feel better, get to wellness and stay there. Like that's not that's not a wild idea. That's a good idea. That patient centered idea is really the way that all medicine has moved. So in some ways, Dr. Still was kind of ahead of his time mm -hmm. saying that because that is the way that I mean, in MD school. It's the same, th those same principles are taught. I would say that they are very much focused in primary care. Mm -hmm. And I am probably biased to say that I learned a lot of that because I went to a family medicine residency. And we talked about this stuff constantly. I yeah. mean, th these ideas were very much ingrained in my training that you have to see a person as a whole to take care of them. You can't just take care of their wrist or whatever. You're saying sort of... Oh, no. Again? <laughs> I'm sorry. Stop misquoting Patch Adams, and I won't have to give you the correct Patch Adams quote. This is a very bad show today. But like like uh, MD school, even though I went into primary care, which is, and especially family medicine, I think we have this reputation as being a little, like, you know, touchy-feely. <laughs> that, yes, that is that is who I am, I would say. I will own that. There are DOs who go into every medical specialty just like MDs. So there are DOs who go into the not so touchy feely medical specialties of, you know, radiology or pathology or anesthesiology or whatever subspecialties of subspecialties you can think of. You will find DOs in all of them. They are completely qualified to do all of those things just the same as an MD. Whatever makes you helps you make a decision as to like who should be your doctor i mean because you know it is important to think about what matters to you and like a good fit i've said that many times on the show you got to find somebody that's a good fit for you uh whether they are an md or a do should not have anything to do with your decision unless you really want omt in which case you, you should go to the do because i don't know how to do it um i did say i have i have had it done on me I did find it, this is anecdotal though, I'm just, I did find it helpful. I won't say that all of my pain vanished, but it did make uh, the pelvic pain I was having a lot more bearable. 
Um, I have seen it work. I, I refer patients to DO colleagues to do OMT for like chronic pain issues and things like that. I have seen it work for those issues. I've had patients need less medication because they're having that done. Similar to, you know, patients who go to physical therapy or massage therapy or some other form of um, hands-on manipulative therapy that helps them move their body in ways and, you know, manipulate their tissue in ways where they have less pain, um, which is a good thing. I want to speak frankly for a moment, if I may, because I, I can tell that you are... If I was a listener, I feel like I would be sort of a little bit confused at this point. And let's talk about the central issue with with doing this episode. The thing that has been challenging to you is that a lot of the arguments you could make against OMM are arguments that we have made against therapies that are fake, right? Yes. Fair. And it becomes hard, like Sydney has just provided anecdotal evidence for this, right? Which is something that we have cautioned against on this program innumerable amounts of times. But what you're up against with, with this is one, like you said, hard to do a study and have a, a sham mm-hmm. treatment. Also, not as much, I mean, not there's not the like pharmaceutical levels of money in proving the efficacy, right? Right. Now flip, flip that around. That is also the same argument that's made about, you know, fill in the blank, CBD or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and there's not like a, so this is the explanation of it. This is just in talking to you about it. This has been sort of the the back and forth struggle. If, if you feel like I'm, uh, you know, saying it correctly. No, I, I don't I do, want people to I do think because... that we were making we're making an exception for, you know, the, the scientific method of proving treatment is uh, effective, you know, except in this one regard. This isn't that that situation. No, and, and I think what I have seen through reading osteopathic journals and talking with osteopathic physicians is that this conversation is happening within that community Mm. like do's are talking about this um i read articles from osteopathic physicians arguing that cranial osteopathy should not be taught anymore because it does not have a solid evidence base i read arguments from other physicians saying well but we can't study it in the same way and i have spent many many hours devoted to learning it appropriately and i can do it appropriately and i have seen it work and i have evidence that it works because you know, these studies are ongoing and, and whatnot. And and so, like, I think it is still an area that is being studied and understood. And you will find people who are DOs on both sides of that. So it's not without critical thinking. It's not. And it, I think that's, I think that's a huge right? difference yeah, right. because it's that in that way, it's the same as allopathic medicine. It's the same thing. We have many things that we are developing our ideas of. You're watching it in real time with COVID. Yeah. Right. With medications that we think work and then don't or didn't think worked and then might, we're seeing that happen in real time right now. And that happens in allopathic medicine. So certainly it is still happening in osteopathic medicine as well. It's sort of what we're talking about is the difference between, and I don't know if this is exact right terms, but like supportive versus alternative therapies, right? Yes. This started as an alternative therapy, which now is more of a supportive therapy. Mm-hmm. in 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 uh, working in conjunction or in concert with allopathic medicine. And it's hard because I'm not, I mean, I think I've been clear. I'm not a pragmatist. I do not just feel like, well, if it works, then go for it. 
that's never been my line. And so me saying I felt like I received benefit from OMT, I do not believe is enough foundation for me to no holds barred recommend it to everybody all the time. Right. I do not believe that. Um, I believe in finding evidence for things. And I, I think that that in this case, this the evidence is just going to be really hard to accumulate in the same way that we study pharmaceuticals. Um, you're just not going to see it that way. Yeah. Uh, but when you have these therapies and I mean, massage therapy is the same. And a lot of people receive a lot of benefit from massage therapy without a huge body of evidence that says, you know, it can definitely do these things. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're talking about like a whole person, risk versus benefit, all those other things that go into practicing medicine in the real world and not just in a lab, then these therapies can help some people. And I, I would always go to a DO who is practiced in them. I would never have somebody who wasn't a DO do these things to me mm -hmm. or you. Please don't. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the main thing I wanted to get across is there is no reason a DO can't provide you all the services that an MD can. Um, I My mentor in residency was uh, is a DO physician who is incredible, one of the best doctors I've ever worked with, and was the model for the kind of doctor I wanted to be, and I learned a ton from. So, um, him, and, him and Patch, you would say. Her. Like her and Patch. You just assumed it was a dude there, did you? I thought it was the guy you worked with. That I was just confused about who you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, she, she was my chief. But uh, anyway, the, the point is my DO colleagues have gotten so much crap over this one doctor who took care of Trump, and it's not fair. They're great. There is no reason to ever consider a DO less comp competent than an MD. They are wonderful. And that um, ad for scrubs that Figs put out. Sydney, you are making a reference to something as though everybody knows what <laughs> you're talking about when a very small subsection of humanity knows what you're talking about. Well, then I won't talk about it. I no, guess. you're going to give me a very quick summation of the issue. There are these, because it highlights it. There are these scrubs uh, that you can get these that are called figs. And um, I own some. I own some. They're they're nice product. But uh, they put out an ad, unfortunately, of a uh, female physician dressed in their scrubs holding a book called Medical Terminology for Dummies upside down wearing a name tag that said D.O. Mm. And... Uh, they have apologized since, but um, Ooh, so be careful. Don't be like those yeah, people. That was, I mean, it, it's just not. It's not fair. There's no, DOs are wonderful, caring, competent physicians, and they have done nothing to deserve that. And please spread the word. Yep. DO, MD, that part does not matter. They are both completely capable of taking care of you. Best way to spread the word, I think. Just share a quick link to this episode. Get those <laughs> clicks going. As long as you're clicking stuff, I would like to humbly ask that if you enjoy video games, you check out uh, uh, my video game program, The Besties. It's a Spotify original. You can only find it there, but you can get it for free on Spotify if you search for The Besties. It's me, my brother Griffin, and our friends Chris and Russ as we talk about a new video game every week. Uh, it's fun. It's lighthearted. Uh, you'll you'll uh, hear about all the latest and greatest in home interactive entertainment. Uh, and it's called The Besties, and it's on Spotify. So please go check that out uh, if you would be so kind. 
Uh, also want to thank the taxpayers for these their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Hey, we got a new uh, delightful horseshoe crab shirt up at McElroyMerch.com. It's a, a lovely uh, blue shirt that says, have you thanked a horseshoe crab today, of course, for their uh, contribution to making sure vaccines are safe. That's right. I love horseshoe crabs. Thanks, horseshoe crabs. Not a horseshoe, not a crab. But this has been an episode of Sawbones, and uh, that will do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hi, I'm Taylor Smurl, and I know what you're thinking. This music does not sound like Meet the Boozecast, and you're right, it does not. That's because this is an all new Meet the Boozecast. Now, I'll still be here, Taylor Smurl, pro New York bartender. I will be serving you knowledge as well as cocktails, but I will also have a new co-host. Hi, that's me, Tommy Smurl. I'm Tay's dad. While I'm not a bartender, I do have almost 50 years of experience drinking, (laughs) as well as learning its history and trivia. So, well, we might sound a little different, we will still be the boozecast that you've come to love. Uh, so join us every Thursday on... Neat. <laughs> I'm calling this round two. Drinking with my dad. Cheers. You like that? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs>